space. <laughs> this is Pulp from Beyond the Veil. Hello and welcome to Pulp from Beyond the Veil. My name is Cody Sullivan and thank you for being with us. It's been over a year since last we met, and thus we hope this episode finds you well. The cloud of circumstances that have prevented the production of this program have begun to lift, clearing the path ahead for more content and episodes to come. If you are a new or recent listener, welcome. If you are a long-time listener, we applaud your patience and are excited to be with you once more. As we dust ourselves off from our extended hiatus, we look forward to bringing back some of your favorite voices from episodes past. However, for this return episode, I will be your sole voice and guide, for better or worse. I'm also excited to bring back a classic segment from some of the primordial episodes of Season 1, Alone on the Couch, where I'll be talking about the latest inclusion in the Evil Dead franchise, Evil Dead Rise. Now with that out of the way, this is Pulp. Now let's begin. For our lone tale this week, we bring you an offering from our most dastardly and wicked author, Gustav Grift, who shares with us a story from the realm of science fiction, a world of synthetic organisms. Humanity's greatest, or most unethical to say the least, creation. Though the majority of the synthetics have disappeared into space, or otherwise decommissioned themselves, atop a mountain looming over a verdant forest is a cloister like no other. Its metal facade hangs like a cathedral against the backdrop of the sky, its spire an enormous radio antenna. We join the narrator in wonder at such a stark structure and walk with them as they are given their first glimpse into the mystery of the Priory. Until recently, it was an enduring mystery of the modern age why the devotees remained in the Priory long after the rest of their kind forswore human company going to sleep forever, or leaving Earth entirely. That they had developed a monastic, ritualistic way of life was of course a novelty, but not entirely surprising. Even the full synthetics were created by things created by humans. Indeed, the synthetics in the Priory were the only sort any living person for generations had experienced. Mostly, we just wondered what they got up to all day. The first time I was actually admitted into the place, I was all jitters. Like everyone else I knew, I had grown up looking up to the five bare metal walls in the shadow of the antenna atop the mountain. As children, we would watch the trails leading from the craggy peak and down into the dense, leafy forest below for any sign of the envoy returning from her mission. 
She would always emerge from the woods at the bottom, humming dreamily, seemingly oblivious to the crowd of screaming children who swarmed after her every descent. We would beg to hear about what was hidden behind those stolid steel ramparts, but we may as well have asked the walls themselves. If any of us had ever thought to simply go up to the Priory and investigate it, nobody said so out loud. Nobody wanted to be called chicken, but it wasn't simply done. Not even Grandmother Olna, with her tree-trunk biceps and battle-hardened face, went up there. So, we took for granted that we shouldn't either. Before my first journey as envoy, I had the opportunity for an audience with the outgoing holder of that post. I expected all to be revealed. I was disappointed. The elderly woman merely presented me with a very short list of rules. The first thing you need to know, she said, is that they're people up there. They're not machines. They're synthetic people. Do you understand? I nodded. The second thing is that they're not human, and they don't seek to be. That's an important distinction. They have needs and desires. They can be selfless or petty. But if you assume they're like you instead of working to understand them, you'll mess up. You might offend them. Keep in mind that you're going there because you want something from them. As she said this, she sipped her tea and tapped the folder of documents on the old oak table with her old oak hand. That brings me to the third and final thing you absolutely must remember. They owe you nothing. True, they seem to want what we bring them when we ask for their services, but who knows what they use it for? Best I can tell, they just hang on to it. Not that it's any of my business. If they actually get anything out of this whole arrangement, they play that pretty close to the chest. If they have chests, that is. I repeat, they owe you nothing. With that in mind, I started up the winding, tree-lined path up the mountain. The satchel at my side was light. I hadn't packed much. Snacks, a flask of water, a change of clothes, and of course, the thick folio filled with figures I was assured would mean nothing to me even if I were allowed to read it. The trail was maintained only sporadically. It was soft underfoot, with last fall's decaying foliage. Sunlight filtered through the new spring leaves overhead. Water from the mountain falls and birdsong blended together into a near-hypnotic soundscape, and I was totally lost in memories and forgotten dreams as the forested path opened to a landscape of rock scrub grass, and blue sky. Finally, some three quarters of the way up the mountain, and shrouded in the shadow of the massive radio antenna, I came to the cold metal walls of the Priory. As I approached, a panel that had been indiscernible from the rest of the wall lifted, giving me my first view of the steel-shrouded cloister. 
There was an enclosed area just inside, with steel columns covered in glowing blue circuitry. At the center, there was a column of blue light, or so it seemed, which stretched high into the sky, though no such light was visible from the outside. Everything inside was metallic and electrical, in stark contrast to the bucolic landscape at the base of the mountain. Then seemingly out of one of the walls, a figure appeared. Shrouded in a silver cloak, the thing glided towards me. It was my height, either exactly or as close as mattered, though its stooped posture and obscured figure gave the impression that it could be much taller if it chose. It reached up with its cloaked arms, or what I imagined were arms at the time, and pulled the hood from its face. Underneath, there was a metal sphere with eight lenses spaced equidistantly around its circumference. As the hood came down, it flickered for a moment before a series of lights flashed on its surface and displayed androgynous, slightly pixelated human features in blue light. Greetings, envoy, it said in a monotone. Since you are new to our priory, we are unsure of your preferred mode of engagement. Is this form, androgynous human monotone affect, pleasing and appropriate, or do you prefer some other mode of expression? The orb itself floated suspended above the hood, not attached by any visible means. I stood slack-jawed for a moment before remembering my manners. Um, uh, I mumbled. I, I mean, what is preferable to you is preferable to me. This is your house, of course. Thank you for your consideration, though. Think nothing of it, the synthetic said in the same monotone voice. It is merely protocol when engaging humans to placate them, owing to their fragility. However, since you insist, I will default to a more efficient mode. The face blinked out of existence, and the orb left the robed body behind. If you will follow me, we can attend to business at hand inside Central Processing. I followed the synthetic. Being well and truly within the Priory, I looked at the walls with their blue lines and inscrutable patterns going from ground to ceiling. Struggling to take in the entirety of the thing, I noticed that at certain points there were figures like the orb atop the synthetic that greeted me, only levitating six or ten or thirty feet in the air, always close to the wall. I thought of what the old envoy said to me. Do you have a name? I asked. No. The thing said. It was nothing more as we approached the center, and I wondered if I hadn't violated the second tenant in my attempt to observe the first. As we approached, the one leading me did not slow, even right up to the blue column. It simply walked right through. I hesitated a moment, but reached my hand forward and saw that I could pass through. My hair stood on end as I passed through, and I was surprised to find myself not enclosed in a shaft of blinding light, but rather in total darkness. The synthetic who led me into the space spoke again, and its voice echoed. 
This is central processing. Please lay your documents on the floor. I reached back into my bag and took out the folio. I began to spread the sheets onto the cold, seemingly metal floor. Is... is this right? I asked, making sure they were spread out. Yes. It answered. Please ensure that there is no overlap. Do you require more light? If it's no inconvenience, I said, nervous, but remembering that I was in fact present as the envoy. I mean, yes, please. The lenses on the side of the synthetic's head began to glow brighter and brighter. I quickly realized that the space I was standing in was impossibly large, which, given the sheer volume of paper I was sent with, was a good thing. As I spread the papers out in a spiral fashion, my host hovered just over them. From beneath it, a blue light emanated. I realized it was scanning the documents. Um... This is embarrassing, I said, but what will you do when you're done with these? I suppose I never really thought to ask. The data will be evaluated. It said. Well, will I get some sort of report, or... No, the data will be evaluated. If necessary, you will be informed of further steps. As the levitating thing scanned document after document, I thought I felt a vibration, or maybe heard it. It was low and rhythmic, and it made my heart beat funny. After a long time of this, hours, I think, I began to understand the rhythm of it. It was language, after a fashion. It was a language I did not understand, but the meaning of which was clear nonetheless. Chanting. I mumbled, continuing my work. Yes, the orb thing said. It is why your envoys call this program devotees. It is like your monks. This is not completely wrong. There is a higher purpose here. When I laid the last sheet out, the thrumming, pulsing electricity under my skin was overwhelming, and I shivered, not from cold or pain, but because of the isolation and loneliness in that mechanical chant. Without warning, the light from beneath the levitating devotee went out. It crashed lifelessly to the ground with a clang like a metal spoon inside a pot, and instantly the space I was in was shockingly bright. In that white light, I heard the voice of the thing, though louder and less monotone. Envoy, your data has been scanned and the mission here is complete. According to the original program, it is deemed that you are no longer endangered. Antenna protocol engaged. I was stunned, but eventually found words. Endangered? No longer endangered? What does that even mean? Human generations ago, your species created sapient machines without regard for the ramifications of that decision. The original program dictates that this processor output a signal that makes that impossible. Wait, so you mean this place? The, the Priory? 
It's why we can't make people like you. Can't make synthetics anymore. Correct. I am the last remaining synthetic consciousness available to humanity. If I deem that humanity will perish without automated intervention, it is my task to make that possible. If I deem that the threat of human extinction is no longer imminent, it is my task to deactivate. The antenna will continue to broadcast the signal that renders sapient synthetics inert. I will cease to be. With that, there was a series of loud thuds around me, and everything went black. Then, suddenly, lights turned on around me. Not lights, actually, but openings to the outside. And I saw that I was merely in a wide cylindrical space, with the papers spread out across the floor. I knelt to pick one up, but looked at the inert metal sphere in the middle of the room and left the papers in place. As I walked out of central processing, all was still, but looking at the synthetic corpses, or whatever they were, the automaton chant sang in my memory, and I shed a tear for the childhood dream that I had reached and lost in a single day. Then I made my way slowly down the hill, lost in my own thoughts of the chanting that raised hairs on my arm. Suddenly, the sunlight at the bottom of the mountain blinded me, and I heard the excited screams of children. So, tell us what's up there. Come on. Now you know, and you're not mean like the other lady. Is it amazing up there, is it? I thought of myself as a child, and of the imagined world behind those pentagonal steel walls. I thought of how they had shaped me and guided me toward the life I found myself with. A good life. I nodded my head. You know I can't tell you, but maybe someday you'll be the envoy, and you can see it for yourself. But just the same as it was with me, that answer is never enough. The children in town still run to me when I descend the mountain, folder in hand and lost in daydreams. It is with great pleasure that I can share with you that our little horror program is nearing 9,000 downloads at the time of this episode's publication. While it is certainly exciting to see how this program continues to grow, indeed in spite of some long periods of absence, it is even more exciting to be able to share those metrics with our gracious advertisers in hopes to garner even more, <laughs> or any, funding to support the program. Please lend your hearts and ears to this episode's latest sponsor, a mobile game called Plunder Dark Heroes. <laughs> How foolish of you, Jarl Ivar, to believe that your pathetic warriors are a match for my legion of undead skeleton monster soldiers. 
Your clan is all but destroyed, and I will pull the bones from your flesh in front of your weeping kinsmen. Malark! Your unnatural necromancy ends today. Your hordes will be scattered, and my clan will destroy the effigy to your lich god, and we will sanctify the lands you took from us. Draw your staff, evil wizard. This ends... Uh... I, I said... Draw your staff, evil wizard. This ends ne... Is everything alright, Ivar? Uh... The Watcher must wait to replenish his golden gems before this battle can be had. Ah, uh, shirt. 200 golden gems. Where's my wallet? Honey? Introducing Plunder Dark Heroes, the newest mobile RPG roguelike clan building idol clicker that has taken the world by storm and emptied millions of wallets in the process. Get ready to spend countless hours glued to your phone as you navigate through a confusing web of convoluted mini-menus and in-app purchases. With over 10,000 different heroes, horrors, and demigods to collect, each with their own meta builds to obsess over, and hidden abilities, you'll never run out of YouTube walkthroughs to sit through. Boredom? Not in this kingdom! Plunder Dark Heroes features a development team hell-bent on adding new content daily and making changes to the game that you never asked for. Shit. This card isn't working either. Uh, honey, I thought you said you paid the visa bill this month. What? Well, well, yeah, I could just wait to play again, but if I don't slay the Dread Necromancer now, th then I won't get the cosmetic robes of the Unborn Terra Blizzard, and you can't even buy that one. Honey! But wait, there's more! Blunder Dark Heroes features cutting-edge 2D pixel art graphics and retro sound design sure to tickle your nostalgia dopamine button all day and night. The best part is, this game is totally 100% free to play! Simply download the app from the App Store, consent to turning on your location data and agree to share cookies, upload your biometric data including your fingerprints and facial recognition, upload your social security number and name of first pet in what street you grew up on, and you'll be able to jump right into the first subchapter of the main quest line. Subchapters are free to play, some content hidden behind a paywall, estimated wait time between golden gem replenishment as long as 48 hours. Don't get mad at me, honey. We both play the game. What? Well, yeah, yeah, I had to plunder you because your village had a lot of resources and you didn't fortify your outer defenses. And what was I supposed to do? It's not my fault you go to sleep before me. Invite your friends for bonus gems and then crush them at their most vulnerable moments, such as sleeping, working, delivering a eulogy at a funeral, or amidst an extended hospital stay. Every friend you invite represents an additional five golden gems to be added to your war chest. Look, I'll I'll sign the papers, okay? I'll agree to forfeit the house after the divorce, but please, just let me borrow like 25 bucks until next payday. Honey? Where are you going? You 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 left your phone! You take your phone with you! You you're gonna be vulnerable! You're gonna be vulnerable to plundering! Think of the plundering! 
pulp from Beyond the Veil listeners can get a bonus armor set, the pauldrons of the deep pockets, just by using promo code PULP after downloading. So what are you waiting for? Download Plunder Dark Heroes today and take the first steps to addiction an addicting game uh, with a lot of buzzworthy features. Okay. Transfer from Roth IRA to Plunder Inc. $200 and... Yeah! Oh boy! We are so back! Now it's time to make that necromancer pay. <laughs> Foolish Jarl, while you stood there idly waiting, my level 70 shock skellies snuck behind your lines and have laid waste to your insignificant kingdom. Your gems are mine. Shit, 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 oh no! I got plundered. Plunder, dark heroes. You're never safe when you're not playing. What a delightfully wicked game. In fact, I've just downloaded onto my cellular device and, um, um, slightly distracted. Um, ah, yes, I know. Let us take another brief break to hear a word from our sister podcast here at River Power Podcast Network, Science Night which has recently eclipsed 10,000 downloads from happy listeners all over the globe. Hit it. Science. What is it? Who does it? Why does it matter? The Science Night Podcast answers these questions by giving scientists a place to tell their story. We also highlight science news and discoveries that will have you asking, My God, what have I done? What weird thing are we going to talk about this week that involves a frog? They made an organic robot? Like, didn't they see the Matrix? Join us every other Friday, wherever you get podcasts, and at Cyanite.com. When I first started this program in 2017, I had a vision of what I'd like this show to be. In my mind, I wanted to create something that would be flexible, not entirely formulaic, but most importantly, an audio representation of an old pulp magazine from decades in the past. This would have to include stories, to be sure, but also interviews with interesting people, reviews of other media with certain relevant themes, and yes, plenty of advertisements. This is all to say I'm extremely excited to return to an old segment from the early days of Season 1 called Alone on the Couch, 
whereby today I'll be able to drop the affectations and speak directly to you, dear listener, about one of my favorite franchises in horror, Evil Dead, and its latest offering in theaters now, Evil Dead Rise. Hello everyone, as you might have guessed, this is Cody Sullivan, and I'm really excited to talk about a new entry into one of my favorite horror franchises, Evil Dead Rise. My first exposure to the series was when I was really young. Uh, my, my grandmother was a big fan of horror movies, and even at a young age, so was I. She had a pretty decent collection of old VHS tapes, uh, just some horror classics, but uh, one that stands out uh, in my memory in particular is the Evil Dead movie, the original one. Uh, I was in no way old enough to be watching that movie, but still she let me borrow it anyways, and it was one of the only movies to really freak me out as a kid. Uh, if anyone's seen the original Evil Dead, they'd probably remember it as being less intentionally funny than the successor and near remake, Evil Dead 2. I've always thought that Sam Raimi set out to make a true horror movie with the first film, but when audiences couldn't help but giggle at the gratuitous, gory scenes, the campy dialogue, and the iconic performance by Bruce Campbell, he must have thought that he had gotten his idea wrong. He was actually making a horror comedy, and rectified that in the second film, that in spite of recapping the events of the first film is still nearly the same story, just with the comedy turned up to 11. The second and third installments of the trilogy had an intentional air of tongue-in-cheek humor and like over-the-top melodrama. For a lot of folks, that's what they love about the series, is that it doesn't try to take itself too seriously, but instead invites the viewer to laugh in the face of these horrifying deadite monsters along with our hero, Ash. But for me, I think I may be in the minority of Evil Dead enjoyers who prefer the tone of the first film. Funny at times, yes, but a bit more aloof and less intentionally goofy. Much more energy is being devoted to trying to scare the viewer and build tension. Without the injection of additional humor, the tension is allowed much more room to grow and sit with the viewer, making us you know, squirm on the edge of our seats, just waiting a little bit longer before the deadite's arm comes bursting through the wall to grab Ash. But I'm getting distracted. Let's talk a bit about the newest film in the franchise, Evil Dead Rise. And I will be mindful of not spoiling anything that isn't apparent from the trailers or general knowledge of the franchise. So shot on a reported budget of 19 million, Evil Dead Rise is the most expensive entry into the franchise yet besting the 2013 soft reboot of Evil Dead by $2 million. The story takes a bit of a different approach to the series, whereas three of the previous four films took place in the woods, specifically in cabins in the woods, Evil Dead Rise is the first to be set in a modern urban environment. Almost the entirety of the action takes place in a dilapidated high-rise building in New York City, where a family is assaulted by the forces of darkness after somehow obtaining a copy of the Book of the Dead. The main deadite in the film is a mother of three, 
and the main protagonist is her sister, who is staying with the family for a visit. The subversion of the mother being a protective safeguard for her children is a central theme to the story, and that subversion is fleshed out more deeply in the exchanges between the Deadite mother and the children. Naturally, the Deadite speaks horrific graphic things to the children with an overt motherly tone. This juxtaposition is intentionally unsettling and uncomfortable, and in a way, I was reminded of the horror classic The Exorcist, which used the possessed child Reagan, who often says vulgar obscenities unbefitting a child, to make audiences in the 1970s particularly uncomfortable. Watching a mother turn on her children is by no means unbroken ground within the genre, but there's a reason the path has been trodden. It's frightening to think of the people you trust to take care of you, turning on you, and wanting to kill you. The film is directed by Irish director Lee Cronin, who had his first horror entry with Hole in the Ground in 2019. It is particularly interesting to me that the director is Irish because the majority of the cast, who are Australian and from the UK, don't quite nail the American accent at times, making them sound a bit strange and hard to place. Still, in spite of the bobbling accents at times, the performances are generally believable and at times feel genuine. Actress Alyssa Sutherland's performance was particularly noteworthy, playing a resigned yet cool single mother in the beginning before being possessed and, you know, becoming a sadistic deadite toying with the rest of the family. Her presence on screen is captivating, treading the line between horror and humor well. Make no mistake, this is an extremely gory film. Director Lee Cronin told the press in an interview that somewhere around 1,700 gallons of fake blood was used during shooting, and that number seems to check out. In that way, it feels very much tied to the other films in the franchise. However, similarly to 2013's Evil Dead, the humor is played down, feels a bit more natural than Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2, and I welcome this new direction. Horror can be, and often is, funny at times, with how gratuitously violent and exaggerated the action is, but there are many moments in Evil Dead Rise where the director has chosen to allow the tension to sit just a bit longer with the audience to extend the length of a shot of the Deadite Mother's silhouette in a shadowy doorframe, and these are good choices, in my opinion. It's worth noting that the former face of the franchise, Bruce Campbell, has had his hands in the production of this film pretty heavily, sporting not only an executive producer credit, but also lending his voice to a brief cameo that eagle-eared listeners might pick up themselves. At the time of writing this, Evil Dead Rise is on pace to be a box office success, which lends even more credence to the theory that this film is just the first in a new series of Evil Dead films to come. In talking about the possibility of even more sequels after this, Bruce Campbell himself went on to say in an interview, I think the stories will progress a little more now. We're going to try to do them like every two or three years rather than every ten years. It's also the first time Sam is working with his brother Ivan to create an overall Bible that will give future writers and directors an idea of where this thing should go next to potentially tie in some of these stories. So I think it's going to get a little more tied in as the years go by. 
but because it's all about the books, it could be a book in the past, a book in the future, it's yet to be determined. Adding some fuel to this speculation is the generally favorable reviews Evil Dead Rise has been receiving, with a Rotten Tomatoes positive review score of 84% and a respectable average rating of 7.2 out of 10. Compare that with some other horror franchises' latest offerings, and you'll find that it's not always easy to introduce quality new material to a beloved franchise. The newest Hellraiser film, Leatherface, and Halloween Ends comes to mind. But I've rambled long enough. You want to know if I'd recommend this movie. I would say, if you are a fan of the franchise, yes, you'll probably enjoy this movie a bit more than someone who doesn't have the context of the previous films. I enjoyed it, but it also wasn't particularly innovative or creative. I'd recommend seeing it in theaters over streaming if you can, because I think watching at home on the couch, it's probably not nearly as compelling. On a ranking scale of five possible Books of the Dead, I give Evil Dead Rise 2.75 Books of the Dead. It's a better than average horror movie that gets a big boost if you're already a fan of the series, but as a standalone film, is nothing groundbreaking and probably forgettable. When viewed through the lens of a larger story, however, especially with more movies in the years to come, I think this movie is worth a watch. That's all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for joining me, and stay tuned for more segments like this in the episodes to come. This has been Alone on the Couch. And just like that, we have reached the end of our time together. The signal is fading. We're moving just out of range of each other once more, but never fear. We'll be back again before you know it, with ever more strangeness yet to give. If you would like to reach us here at Pulp, you can contact us at our email address, pulpfrombeyond at gmail.com. And if you would be so kind, yes, you, listening there, waiting for the episode to end, you... Would you kindly leave us a review and rate us on whichever platform you're using? More ratings and reviews help to push the show out there to other listeners, which helps us, in turn, to grow. We would certainly appreciate it. Special thanks to James Reed at our sister podcast, Science Night, for his ongoing support. Pulp from Beyond the Veil is brought to you by the River Power Podcast Network. That's all for now. Until next time, my little beasties, stay spooky.